Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, the ICA have not just been rebranding. Their discussion paper on insurance affordability has been released and some people are optimistic. There's yet more questions for us to ask about the cyclone reinsurance pool and our younger listeners will switch off in droves as we discuss compact discs, segways, the Fast and Furious franchise, and possibly even low-cut jeans in a bumper 90s-themed insurance pod. Hello, everyone. On the panel today, we have my dream team, managing editor John Deeks, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, and publisher Terry McMullen. Morning, John. Good morning. What's your favorite 90s memory? I don't know why vanilla ice just popped into my head, but... Uh... <laughs> Brilliant answer. Brilliant answer. Hello also to Wendy. Wendy, are you a fan of the Segway or do you prefer e-scooters? Uh, I've yet to try either, as a matter of fact, so I can't comment yet. Our listeners wait with bated breath, Wendy. And finally, hello, Terry. Good day, Andrew. This is the longest build-up to a bad joke, but what do you remember of the 90s? Of course, I mean the 1890s. I joined I joined the insurance industry in 1991, and the rest of it is just a hazy memory. <laughs> okay, so on to the key stories for this week's bulletin. John Trowbridge released his discussion paper on insurance affordability issues for businesses, particularly SMEs. Wendy, you were looking at this in detail. What are the key points in this report? Well, uh, it makes clear that there is no single or simple answer to the issues. Uh, So it puts forward 16 options to help improve the situation, uh, which includes awareness options to assist SME business owners, um, insurance industry options and government-related options. Um, And a lot of those are familiar, include discussions on standardised policy definitions and wordings and greater use of deductibles and advice on risk mitigation. But then it also suggests Lloyd-style underwriting consortia where several insurers could come together to share difficult risks or something similar driven by underwriting agencies. Uh, So the aim of the paper is to just put those ideas out there and see how much traction they get and and see if anybody comes back with anything different, really. That's interesting. John, what caught your eye? Well, I found the underwriting consortia idea pretty interesting. The theory is that with some of these challenging risks, each insurer could take only a portion. And we're used to this happening in the Lloyds market, but not so much maybe in the local market. The report points out that local insurers do sometimes work together. NTI, for example, is a 50-50 joint venture between Suncorp and IAG. And apparently back in the 1970s, Amy was a consortium of 15 or 20 insurers who were trying to compete with RACV and motor insurance in Victoria. The report also references community care insurance, which was set up in the early 2000s following the failure of HIH. It was apparently a joint venture between QBE, NRMA, Allianz and Munich Re, who pooled resources to supply affordable liability insurance to community organisations. The point here is that such cooperation has worked in the past and a joint venture where three or four insurers share these difficult SME risks could help resolve the current problem. And I think the other point I'd make is that Trowbridge was quite optimistic about um, insurers being able to work something out here if they work together and with stakeholders, and that we may not need uh, large-scale government intervention. Jerry, as you've already mentioned, you know, you've been involved in the industry since 1991. Do you think Mr. Trowbridge's optimism is well-placed? Well, I wouldn't say so much optimistic as pragmatic. Um, John Trowbridge is one of the shrewdest insurance operatives I know. 
Uh, he's worked in both the industry and regulatory space at high level. So I guess he understands not only what's possible, but also the likely acceptance you can get from both sides of the fence. What I like about his discussion paper is that he does look at everything from several viewpoints and he kind of shovels to the side some of the the more extreme or unworkable views that are coming out of government and even the community. He's really all about the parties getting together and working through the issues with a much greater cooperative understanding of the realities and, and I think that's good news for the industry and there's a solution for every problem and I, I think Trowbridge has set up a basis for discussions that might actually result in some really positive action. Oh, that's interesting and there's another important consultation paper out. Treasury has released its document on the cyclone reinsurance pool. It's more questions than answers at this stage, isn't it, Wendy? Well, yes, everyone keeps saying they want to see the detail of this, but there actually really isn't any detail yet. It's all a work in progress. So the consultation paper asks questions about um, how cyclone-related floods should be defined, um, even how they should define an SME, and how the pool's performance would be measured in terms of assisting policy holders. Um, and it asks whether the push should have a set end date and how it can be designed so it encourages mitigation. And also so there aren't any sort of unintended effects where it might actually encourage some building in high-risk areas. So there's a lot to be worked out um, before it's due to come into effect uh, next July. So they're all sort of in the, the fact-finding stage at the moment, really. John, do you think they're focusing on the right issues? Well, yes, I think they're all good questions. But as Wendy says, the tricky bit is, is the answers. I do like that the documents flagged the issue of mitigation and how we avoid the pool encouraging more risky development. I mean, that being included um, shows that the concerns that insurers have flagged over many years haven't been forgotten and will be considered. The suggestion that there might need to be a monitor of some sort is interesting, perhaps indicates a lack of trust that insurers would, would pass on the full savings that they get from cheaper insurance. I do, I suppose I do have this nagging thought that the savings to customers ultimately might end up a little bit underwhelming. Nobody's really prepared to put a figure on it as yet, but, you know, let's say it was 10%, you know, that sort of rise is going through on an annual basis anyway. So is it really going to make the difference between unaffordable and affordable? The government wants this to be cost neutral, as we know. So the saving will come from the pool foregoing a commercial profit margin. And that's great, but will it be enough, I suppose, would be the question. Terry, what would you be saying if you were putting a submission together? <laughs> I'm just laughing at the, at the fact that they reckon they're going to have this thing together by July next year. Um, too many questions, absolutely no answers, but it's obvious that they're, they're looking down the road of huge complexity in a, in a bid to avoid having to ever pay anything. Okay, if I made a submission, I'd make agreement on a reinsurance pool totally reliant on state governments dropping their absurd insurance taxes for a start. And I'd also hate to see the government using the funds that are being would be injected into the pool from premiums being used as some kind of cash cow because it's exposing itself to a bit of risk the way it has done with the reinsurance pool. Apart from that, those are those are the only real issues that, that I think are solvable, frankly. 
sobering analysis. Now, car thefts were a much bigger problem than they are today. The National Motor Vehicle Theft Reduction Council has played a big part in those improvements, but the group is now going to fold after the Insurance Council decided to withdraw its funding. John, tell us the background to this story. Yes, uh, this came as a bit of a shock. An email dropped into our inbox and it was the NMVTRC saying that uh, they were going to have to fold. They've been going since 1999, but they're not going to be able to continue working past the end of September. It's uh, The group's worked on a number of campaigns and reforms over the years and theft numbers have fallen 60%. ICA, which traditionally p- provided 50% of its funding, has decided to take a different path. It says through its Insurance Fraud Bureau, it will work with enforcement agencies and insurers to collect more comprehensive vehicle theft data, which goes beyond the NMVTRC's remit. Terry, do you think that the Theft Reduction Council will be missed? I really don't know. Um, I thought it was a very effective organisation, and I have to say, personally, I'm sad to see it go. ICA wants to take another tack. It believes it has the contacts with state governments to get the data together um, and, I guess, work on on programs. But it was a a cooperative program that really was pretty groundbreaking for its time. So I'm I'm a little bit sad to see it go. But at the same time, if ICA really believes that they can do this job better and cheaper, then Let's wait and see. On a slightly more modern form of transport, e-scooters, Wendy's favourite. But John, I'm going to ask you, can you tell us about the insurance company that's come up with a new product for e-scooter hire companies? Yes, well, um, I think this is more common in Brisbane than Melbourne or Sydney at the moment. But there are these companies and, 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 and the idea is that for a small fee, you can just grab one of these scooters on the street and get very easily from A to B. You pay via an app. It's all very easy and environmentally friendly. But there is a risk of injury, of course. And and up to now, there was no third-party cover for riders who may have been in a collision and, and injured someone else or damaged someone else's property. But Agile Underwriting Services has designed a new product, which has been taken up by one of these scooter companies, Neuron. And as it's relatively new, this form of transport, Agile had to look at collision data from other similar modes of transport to design it. And it also used its relationships in London to secure support from Lloyds. Now, Agile reckons Sydney and Melbourne will soon follow Brisbane's lead and other scooter companies will probably want to get similar cover in place too. Terry, this is an example of the industry innovating to cover new and emerging risks, isn't it? Well, that's what we're here for, Andrew. I guess we will see a lot more uh, of these sorts of innovations coming along as uh, as risks from new products become more obvious. I hate e-scooters. They sneak up on me on footpaths all the time. And the whole idea of a whole bunch of higher ones screaming around the place fills me full of chills but i think you you will see in the in the future you will see companies becoming more dare i say agile in uh in meeting these kind of risks i just do wonder just how high those risks are or will be. Now, insurance tax is guaranteed to get the pulses racing, and we love talking about it. We make no apologise for continuing to raise this issue. John, the Victorian budget has annoyed the industry, hasn't it? Yes, it has. I mean, there are some good things in in the budget as well in relation to bushfire mitigation and so on, but um, stamp duty on general insurance products remains a concern. The, The rate of tax on 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 insurance is 
is still 10%, but the Victorian government is predicting a big increase in the amount of tax collected. Over the next three years, it will go up 29% to almost 2 billion a year. Now, most of this increase is probably coming from rising premiums as a result of the hard market. But what's worrying the Insurance Council is that the bigger this figure gets, the less likely the state government will be to lose it. As we've said so many times, insurers believe state taxes on insurance punish those who are trying to do the right thing. They contribute to affordability issues and encourage underinsurance. Wendy, Mr. Trowbridge mentioned this in his report too, didn't he? Yes, he points out that every inquiry and review of insurance costs and affordability over the last decade has recommended that the state government charges should be abolished, but only ACT has taken action. Um, And some reviews have also recommended abolition of the GST on insurance. Um, But uh, as as the ICI says, it's going to take um, a lot of uh, will and courage on the part of all levels of government, it seems, for for this to happen. And and there's not been much sign of that yet. And finally, just when we thought we'd have to wait another year for more SME Insurance Index insights, like a hidden track on a compact disc, Vero have spoiled us with some bonus chapters. Wendy, there's some really interesting stuff here on communication, isn't there? Well, they had a look at the um, changing communications in the context of COVID, um, and the survey finds quite divided views on the merits of using web-based tools like um, Skype, Team and Zoom to communicate with brokers. Um, And about 55% of broker clients would prefer face-to-face meetings, while 47% say um, web-based tools are an excellent way to communicate with their broker and there's no need to return to previous arrangements. Um, And when they broke it down by who's likely to favour what, they found that those likely to favour web-based tools are more likely to be um, city-based, female, under 45, tertiary educated, and from uh, larger, more newly established businesses. Interesting. We have a few SME Index-specific editions of Insight podcasts coming up, but Terry... Brokers still need to be flexible, don't they? Well, they do, Andrew. And I think that's come out very, very clearly in this this latest Vero Index that people do want to hear a lot more from their brokers. And it would seem that in some quarters, the exact opposite is happening. And I think it's a little bit like the e-scooter thing. Look, the technology is changing. Uh, There are a lot more ways that you can communicate with your customer. And I know that the Brokers instinctively think that they they can't keep in regular contact with customers because it's not cost effective. But at the same time, I always think of that little telephone in their pocket that they can just pick up at an odd hour and ring a guy and or any kind of, of SME business owner and have a five or ten minute chat with them. Do that regularly enough, and you're probably circumventing the need to send them emails or or brochures or pamphlets talking about, you know, risks, et cetera, et cetera. Communication is is an ongoing thing. And really, for brokers, I think it should be seen as one of the most vital things that they can do to keep themselves and their customers in business. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Inside Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, Terry McMullen and John Deeks. 
Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week. 